Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Pete Finn and this is the COVID-19 and Democracy podcast. Today on the podcast, we are going to be returning to a topic which we've looked at um, before on both the pod podcast and on the project in general numerous times, and that is events in Germany. Now, those of you who have been following events in Germany with relation to COVID will recall that in general, Germany had quite a good first phase of the um, of the pandemic, and I guess that sort of lasted until at least the early mid-autumn, depending on how you date it. And it still comparatively is doing well in some statistics. Um, however, it's having a much more challenging time recently. Um, in terms of cases, there's been almost 3 million confirmed cases in Germany. Um, there have been um, somewhere between 77 and 78,000 deaths um, confirmed from COVID-19 in um, Germany. And um, that is, well, while that is obviously a high number, it is um, low when compared with other European states um, and other, you know, the US in terms of kind of, but by uh, comparatively um, when divided up by population. The vaccine rollout um, was initially pretty sluggish in Germany and we'll probably get into that later. It does seem to have picked up a bit more recently and about 5.6% of the population are fully vaccinated, um, which compares to 8.5% in the UK. Um, and there continue to be, not just in Germany, but across Europe and elsewhere, issues and discussions and deliberations by politicians, um, oversight bodies, and regulators with relation to the AstraZeneca um, vaccine. To discuss Germany with me today um, for another uh, um, episode on the podcast is Dr. Robert Ledger. Dr. Robert Ledger teaches at the Schiller University of Heidelberg and the Frankfurt School of Finance and Management, and he's also a visiting researcher at the Frankfurt Goethe University. He wrote a chapter on Germany for our report, COVID-19 and Democracy First Cut Policy Analyses, um, and is a, as I've already mentioned, a former podcast guest. Um, he is also the author of Neoliberal Thought and Thatcherism, A Transition from Here to There, and Power and Political Economy, From Thatcher to Blair, The Great Enemy of Democracy, um, both of which were published by Routledge and the second of which um, was just published in recent weeks. So welcome to the podcast, Rob, and congratulations on your new book. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, good to be back. Um, great. So we last spoke about Germany on the podcast um, about November time, but just before Christmas. And at the time, as I already mentioned, Germany had had a relatively good initial response. Um, for numerous reasons, which you identify in your report chapter, and we talked about on that episode, um, but was struggling with the start of a second wave, as were, it should be said, lots of countries across Europe, um, with both cases and deaths climbing. So how have things evolved in the last um, three to four months in Germany? Well, since October, as, uh, as you say, Germany's really been struggling to get on top of the situation. Um, and I think kind of looking back, the, the rising cases in October and the, the lack of response seems to be one of the, the, the key things, which was just becoming clear, I think, last time we, we spoke. Um, a partial lockdown, partial but still harder than the one that had been imposed in spring, um, was put in place at the beginning of November. 
and it was in place really until the start of March when there was a few um, restrictions relaxed. And other cases um, really started to increase in December and January, although they, they did go into a bit of a decline before then picking up again in recent weeks, well, um, probably in, in February due to the, the variants. And as you, as you mentioned, the vaccine rollout has been, been pretty sluggish. And I think for the government, that means it's become a bit boxed in. So the cases are still too high for much of a reopening. The population's getting a bit restless, fed up with, with almost five months of you know, a consistent lockdown and really can't go, um, can't relax uh, further without um, more vaccinations, which it's been, been struggling with until recently, as you said. Okay, all right, brilliant. Thank you very much for that um, sound summation of the last few months. Um, so despite, I mean, so the, the a lot of the discussions around COVID and the statistics depends on how and when you draw your line of statistics. So if you drew your statistics on COVID from say um, December, January time, then Germany would kind of be uh, doing, not necessarily worse, but certainly badly right um in mm. um and certainly compared to germany in the first half of the pandemic um, but if you draw your statistics across the whole of the last year then germany actually still is doing relatively well um it's got about for instance half the number of deaths per hundred thousand as the uk so i just wondered in terms of the internal discourse is that percolating or is is everything focused on kind of the immediacy of continued lockdown and struggling to control cases at present and death rates around that? I think that the the narrative was fairly consistent through the first phase really to the beginning of this year and I think that the general population or at least what you read in the press was that Germany was seen as having a good crisis good and things better but compared to its contemporaries it was kind of relatively uh, successful in containing the, the worst of the pandemic. I think it changed a little bit in autumn against the authorities in general in Berlin and also the, the state uh, governments. And it became clear that Germany was actually beginning to look a bit more like the rest of the, the EU, the rest of Europe. So although the comparative stats are still somewhat favourable for, for Germany. This seems to be coming less so, I think, really with, with every week. And in the last few weeks, the, the discourse seems to become a bit more hysterical, maybe. I think that the, um, the kind of trust in the government, including in the uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel, seems to be fraying a bit. And it's, I think that the average German thought the winter's going to be tough, but the vaccine's coming, and then by spring, probably things would be getting better. But actually, in recent weeks, things, things seem to have taken a bit of a turn for the worst. And at that point, the discourse has, has kind of got a bit angry, I suppose, angrier with, you know, what are the authorities doing? There's a little bit of anti-EU stuff going on as well. Um, so yeah, it's relatively consistent until probably February, beginning of February. Oh, okay. And is it 
is it fair to say that some of that um, kind of hysteria and that discourse that's been reflected in some kind of pretty harsh headlines um, towards <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> towards not just Merkel but kind of towards the, the German apparatus at present or or envy of elsewhere maybe. Yes, well, I had the um, a real collector's um, <laughs> head, um, front page of the Bild, which is kind of the equivalent of the Sun, I suppose, in Germany, and that was uh, we beniden you, uh, we envy you, and there was a I think a, a picture of the Union Jack. Um, wow. At the pace, yeah. So this is this is very unusual. So the, uh, this is the pace of the UK vaccine rollout. Um, but also even in the more kind of cerebral press, there's been a bit of soul searching. Um, and again, another very unusual headline in Der Spiegel, which I suppose you would probably... Uh, the Economist, right? Or Time magazine? Yeah, yeah. So maybe like The Economist, maybe more like The Observer meets okay. The Economist. Yeah. But yeah, that, that but basically, yeah. And um, that was uh, Die Neue Deutsche Unfähigkeit, so the, the new German incompetence, which is obviously the, you know, the, the view of, you know, German government is it's not particularly exciting, but it's steady, competent, can deal with crisis and so on. Um, but yes, that seems to be a little bit weakened re uh, recently. Um, and also, you know, other uh, newspapers like Die Zeit, which is maybe more like the Financial Times. Um, so yes, there's been, uh, and you can see, you can sense this pressure building on the politicians, keep making um, proposals, um, there needs to be a new lockdown, another politician say, no, we need an opening. There's supposed to be model areas that are kind of trying out different things. So the consensus seems to have kind of come apart in the last last few weeks anyway. Oh, okay. Oh, that is interesting. Just out of interest, um, and apologies, this just occurred to me now, so it's not on the list of themes that I sent you through. But in, <laughs> like, so in, in German politics, is there the same kind of bent, like small part of kind of libertarian uh thinking that you get certainly on the kind of parts of the Tory party in the UK, parts of the, what I mean, you've got the Libertarian Party in the States, but it kind of crosses between the Libertarian Party and um, the Republican Party um, in the US. So how do you have that in Germany, the kind of Libertarian-esque, um, anti-statist? Yeah, yeah, you get that a, a little bit. And it's kind of, it's a, there's a crossover with with the far right, I, should, I suppose. So you, there's been um, a number of protests and marches, uh, sort of anti-corona, anti-kind of lockdown um, uh, protests, which are invoking things like freedom, liberty, and so on. Um, they go by the name in general of the, the Querdenker movement. So that's kind of lateral thinkers and uh, so they're kind of challenging the you know what the government is doing not like the lateral flow tests in the uk no? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <something> yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's kind of the, the the people that are thinking outside the box kind of thing and they kind of reject the whole 
the whole idea of the pandemic and the restrictions and locking down the economy and, and so it's a bit yeah you do get a bit and there's been stuff in recent weeks there was a big demo actually not far away from where where I am in Frankfurt it's kind of um, in a city called Castle um, there was 20,000 people protesting against coronavirus a couple of weeks ago and then in Stuttgart I think last weekend so there's um, there there is a bit of that um, happening and I think the more rest of the population are getting, the kind of more support it's picking up. But I mean, the actual political home for it, I suppose you'd say, was somewhere between the Free Democrats, which are kind of nominally a liberal party, and the AFD, which are more of a kind of um, far-right party, I suppose. Um, and we have seen a little bit of an increase in the Free Democrat free democrats uh, support in the opinion polls in the last uh, couple of months so there is a little bit of a reflection of that in the in the polling too oh okay wow i thought sure yeah sorry about that tight segue but really really interesting <laughs> to uh, to know uh, maybe we could have a whole at some point we could have a whole uh, discussion around that that sounds uh, like yeah uh, yeah because i mean so in the, like in the uk for instance the like the tory right um, or the libertarian part of the tory party they don't deny the science around the pandemic they just are not often the restrictions at all. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. it's I think it's similar here. Oh, okay. Um, so, um, turning to what is becoming increasingly political, um, despite well, it's hard to figure out whether politicians are really trying to make depoliticize it, or whether they say that and then do things that are deliberately made trying to uh, the vaccine rollout. <laughs> Um, like how is how is that going in the UK? Because I know, I mean, a lot of that that kind of stuff around the press coverage, right? Like we're jealous, we we envy your vaccine rollout. How is that? Is that is that improving now in Germany? Um, it's they it's a little bit sidetracked regarding the vaccine at the moment. Um, maybe I'll come back to that in uh, shortly about kind of a new lockdown. Um, but nevertheless, there is some in, I mean, envy about what the, the UK is doing in particular, because I suppose the, the EU in general is, it's a relatively similar rollout for the vaccine. So if the EU is the only thing to compare with, it might not be as um, marked, but because the UK is clearly ahead and also the US would be another comparison. Um, the fact that Germany is clearly lagging behind the UK as piled on the pressure on, on German politicians and, you know, the press and um, commentators are saying, well, what's, what's going on? Why isn't more being done to kind of get the country out of this impasse? Um, and I mean, even though Germany is fairly average compared to other EU countries regarding its vaccine rolled out, it seems to have been plagued by maybe uncharacteristically poor organisation um, and also a lack of clear information about the vaccines, the kind of AstraZeneca vaccine being um, uh, stopped and then started again and then the change in the, the ages it's been, been given to. Yes, the, um, so the AstraZeneca vaccine, there seems to be yeah, a lot of... Um, uh, press about that and actually is filtering through into the kind of general population. There's been a lot of, of reports of people not attending appointments. Um, the BioNTech one not being um, uh, many supplies of that one. So in summary, the vaccine rollout is not particularly going well. 
Um, and probably in the last six weeks, the politician, politicians have been taking a bit of heat for it. However, it seems that not maybe as much as you'd think because the media seems to obsess over the details of the lockdown. I mean, from what I can see, kind of the UK has gone through similar phases. So it's still about, okay, there's gonna be a, a harder lockdown. That means you can only meet two people, three people from the same household, blah, blah, blah. This kind of obsessing about the details as opposed to maybe there needs to be a few more vaccines and actually we won't have to worry about these details as much. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of an interesting moment in the pandemic in Germany, but certainly the, the vaccine rollout is not perceived as, as being um, very well, um, the, the rollout hasn't been going well. Okay, all right. I should just say, so, uh, for <laughs> listeners who don't know, my wife's German and her uh, parents had their first dose of vaccine today. So <laughs> we're, oh. we are on a personal <laughs> level very pleased about that. Um, so, you know, but I mean, well, it's a very um, personalised anecdote, but, but important for us as a family nonetheless. Um, but actually, if um, uh, that would be only the second and third people I've heard about getting the vaccine, um, oh, right. oh, okay. Whereas, whereas my my British friends, I should say, maybe half of them have had it now, um, oh, yeah, for one yeah. reason or another. Yeah, yeah, most like pretty much everyone who's who's sort of fifty and up now, right? Um, well, I don't. Mm. Yeah, and and then certainly once you get kind of sixty and above, or anyone who's particularly vulnerable um, has has been in, at least invited to have it. Um, and I think yeah. the take up is very high. Um, okay, so turning to one of our favourite, uh, even just between us, right, like our favourite discussions, <laughs> German politics, which we're going to lose in the very near future, right, um, is Angela Merkel. Um, yeah. And how is, so how is all this impacting her in what is now, I mean, basically the twilight of her kind of position as Chancellor? How, how is this all impacting on her? Well, I mean, it, again, sort of going back to the first part of the pandemic, she was seen as very, you know, she was dealing with the pandemic very calmly, very uh, in a methodical way. Um, and this is due to her experience and because she was kind of even handed and, you know, she was uh, someone that could be relied upon, competent, etc. However, in, again, in recent weeks, and I kind of, I'll keep going back maybe to the beginning of February is when I can see the, the turning point. She seems to be, her popularity seems to be sinking like a stone in, you know, to be, to be frank. The coverage, um, particularly last week of um, Merkel, it's been very bad. Um, even the kind of uh, sensible newspapers have been calling for a vote of no confidence to be called in the parliament. Um, other commentators saying that she should resign, although, you know, she's only got a few months left in, in office. Um, some have been, and I've seen this a couple of times, which I think is quite interesting. I've implied that essentially she's, she's given up. She's thrown in the towel. There was a thing on the TV the other day that said the pandemic could essentially sink her legacy um, and affect all the other things that, um, that she's done. So again, in short, it's it's, it's not going well for her. And I think the Nadia really came after the last 
ahead of um, the the states of the regional states at a very long meeting, which as, as far as I could see, basically didn't decide anything last week, apart from they were gonna close shops over Easter a day early. So it was gonna be Thursday closing instead of on Good Friday. Um, and there was a bit of an uproar in the press. And then the next day, a Merkel came out and said, that was a mistake. I owe the German people an apology. It was a very strange scene. And kind of what, really what difference does it make um, to, to close an extra, an extra day? No mention of vaccines or anything which actually seemed to you know, be more important. Um, the press absolutely vilified her for it, um, although not all parts of the press, but most of it. And yes, it seemed to be that authority you know, you could almost see it draining away from her. Oh, wow. um, Just as you yeah. were talking then, I'm, I'm, I mean, you're more of an expert on this than I am, but I was thinking of echoes of Thatcher, right? In like the very early, kind of the very late 80s, very certainly once you got kind of into, into the new decade of the 90s, right? You, um, the sort of, she, she slowly had this kind of drip, drip, drip of power, I guess, until eventually it just became in... Uh, kind of unescapable for her, but I mean, I suppose Merkel will go anyway. But that was—I don't know if uh, that is. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's the kind of the force behind what a political leader says and the kind of the legitimacy of a decision. Um, whereas in her in her heyday would have been, okay, well, the Chancellor's spoken, or Thatcher's spoken, she's got a, um, uh, a policy, and this is happening. Whereas now Merkel says something, and it's like, is this actually going to be the case? Uh, the, her latest, latest gambit was, um, we're going to change the law somehow to reduce the power of the states regarding um, the, the pandemic, which sets alarm bells ringing in Germany because it's sure. <laughs> a, a heavy, heavily decentralised federal system for a reason. Um, and so again, this seemed to be kind of a, a, a loss of authority as opposed to she was saying that she was going to take more power, more authority. It seemed to be the opposite as far as I could see. So yes, it's... Um, it, it, and you can see with the other politicians, they're, they're jostling for position ahead of the elections in September. So, yes, this is certainly the, you know, you can see it's the twilight of... of yeah, the I suppose, I mean, in a US context, it would be the kind of classic lame duck, right? Yeah. Lot, second lot of midterms, uh, um, if a president does both terms, then, you know, like the sort of people just, <laughs> at least after the first nine months or so, basically, if anyone doesn't want to pay any attention to the president, they just ignore them and <laughs> stall until yeah. the next person comes along. <laughs> okay, so with all that in mind, and I guess aware that this is somewhat speculative, because, um, you know, who, the last year has been a lot, of, a lot like that. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges moving forward for the government and for Merkel? I think that, I mean, there's obviously economic things on the horizon and Germany has started spending some, um, as we discussed last time, some serious cash on furlough schemes and uh, trying to prop up firms affected by the pandemic. But I mean, Germany is pretty well placed in terms of its kind of fiscal position. So I actually think that the economy, although it, the figures won't look good in the last year or two, it might not be 
too bad in terms of economic terms. I think the big thing in the kind of shorter term is the vaccine program and everything else I think has to be seen through this lens, basically how quickly Germany can get out of the, the pandemic and I think that's tied to the, to the vaccines. But I think also tied to that is who's going to make up the next government from September. So this could be you know, a really major change if it's not the CDU, the CDU's um, Merkel's party, um, this kind of conservative bloc. And um, as I've shared with you a couple of times, um, um, the polls are pretty stark for the CDU in the last few weeks. It's been hovering sort of between 35 to 40% since the start of the pandemic and it's really um, declined in recent weeks. And it only has to kind of shift a few more points and you can see a non-CDU coalition oh, right. um, being formed potentially in September, which would be probably led by the Greens, um, uh, probably either a centre-left or a slightly further to the left coalition of the kind of uh, Social Democrats, Greens, and either the Free Democrats or the, the kind of left party. Uh, so that would be a really major change. Um, and it would be fair to say the CDU and their sister party, um, they sort of, I guess, a bit like the Tory party in the UK, sort of see themselves as a natural party of government. In, in Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the and that's the thing. And I, and I think a lot of the politicians in the CDU and the ones that are kind of looking for either to be the, the chancellor candidate or to serve in the next government, probably thought, you know, there's no way there's going to be a government without the CDU. And the fact that there might be, I still think it's probably on, in, on balance, they probably still will be the lead party in a coalition. Nevertheless, I think that's going to set some serious alarm bells ringing in, in Berlin. Um, I think probably if I had to make a, uh, if I had to, make a bet which is always dangerous and i always seem to get the normal so um <laughs> i should say when the vaccines pick up the cdu will probably cdu csu will also probably pick up in the polls and we're most likely to see what they call in germany a black green government so that would be the senior partner would be the conservatives and the junior partner would be the greens but i mean still that that would be a, a very big change for, for Germany. It would mean that the Greens would obviously uh, want big changes on the environment. They would probably want more of the, uh, the surpluses that Germany, Germany has been sat on in the last 10 years to be spent in infrastructure and investment and, uh, and so on. So, I mean, one way or another, I think we're gonna see some changes in the German, German political economy from September and how much of a change might depend on um, how Germans are feeling, whether the pandemic's kind of finished or kind of at least on, on the way out. And, and that I think is tied to the, the vaccine rollout. And you can see that the two main candidates um, for the Conservatives, that, and they haven't named their lead candidate yet, are Armin Laschet and Marcus Serda. Armin Laschet's the um, Nord Rhein, a Westphalia um, state leader, Marcus Söder is the Bavarian um, CSU leader. And I think whoever comes, comes to the fore here, that's going to be pretty important too. Laschet's um, seems to follow the Merkel line very closely, 
whereas Serda is not so close to, to Merkel and he seems to be, um, you could say he's a bit more right wing, but he's also sees himself as a man of action. So um, um, that's what, time. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, there's a little bit of populism there, um, but he's also a lot more popular throughout Germany. They've never had a Bavarian um, uh, chancellor in the post-war era. So this is, that would also be interesting. It's always been CDU. Uh, chancellors from that block so that would also be an interesting but if I had again if I had to put some uh, money on it I'd think that Serda might emerge as the lead candidate and that's probably going to happen in the next few weeks so we I think we're also set up for another podcast I think when they yeah absolutely that. <laughs> and it sounds like um if if the Greens get in are, are in 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 a coalition then kind of uh Keynesians, Keynesianism writ large might be coming to German uh which German German uh, infrastructure projects in the near future. Okay. All right, Rob. Well, thank you very much for coming on again. Um, we'll leave it there. Um, and uh, yeah, thank, thanks a lot. That was really interesting. No worries. Great to talk to you.